Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, Change Ignites Growth, Seven Ways to Use Change as an Opportunity. Be sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod369. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am really looking forward to my conversation with today's guest. He's the founder of Ravi Rajani Consulting, and he's the host of the Influential Communicator Podcast, which I highly recommend. He has an extensive career in sales and sales leadership, and he's a prolific speaker, trainer, and storyteller. He is based near London, one of my favorite places. I need to get there sometime soon. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Ravi Rajani. Look at that intro, Elizabeth. I like it. I like it. I love it. I love it. Yes, I'm just outside of London. And it was funny. I was speaking at a sales kickoff last week in Chicago. And I bought this big ski coat, Elizabeth. Well, actually, my wife, (laughs) my birthday, she's like, you're going to need this, Rav, because Chicago is cold. And I got there and I was like, man, I could wear like a t-shirt here. And it's like, (laughs) so I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I am just outside of London and your intro was perfect. Wonderful. Well, yeah, it's it's been an odd year when it comes to weather in the U.S., and I'm not going to bore our listeners with an extensive conversation on that, but my goodness, uh, I got stuck in New York when I was supposed to be in Michigan for Christmas and oh. had, got to Michigan, and it. I think I had the most snow that I've seen in at least 10 years, maybe. So it's definitely an interesting winter, that's for sure. <laughs> That cold snap is real. I mean, I don't want to be very British here and just talk about the weather, but seriously, that cold snap, it looked, uh, the news over here made it look like it was literally standstill in a lot of states. It it really was. It really was. Well, um, thank you for joining me. I'm so glad that we could, that we could be there here and find this time. And I'd love it if you could introduce yourself a bit to our listeners. I shared your bio, but you're a lot more than your bio. So could you just tell a little bit about your story, maybe how you got to where you are today? Yeah, of course. I mean, well, I'll tell you this, Elizabeth, it definitely didn't begin with me popping out of my mother's womb and saying, you know what? (laughs) I want to be in the storytelling space and specifically for selling. Uh, It just didn't happen that way. You know, actually a little creepy, very creepy. I mean, but what did happen is my mum secretly Miyagi'd me. And if you are a karate (laughs) kid fan, people, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. Wax on, wax off. She threw me into the same dance school as my little sister when I was about eight or nine years old. And I remember, Elizabeth, secretly, I was in love with the stage. But outwardly, I was so embarrassed because I was the only dude in my entire school in dance, (laughs) right? Eventually, she let me quit. And secretly, I didn't know it, but I don't even think she knew it, right? Let's be real. But I think what was going on underneath the surface is she was giving me a masterclass in the art of storytelling, public speaking, and stage presence. Eventually, I stumbled into theater as a teen. And growing up, everybody would always say, yo, Rav, are you going to take this whole speaking, presenting, or acting thing seriously? Because, hey, we think you're pretty good at it. And in my head, I was like, no way. No way. I want to go make some money. My ego was in love with the idea of working in the world of investment banking, really beginning a career in corporate sales over there. I think I'd watched the movie Wall Street too many times. Not actually, I think I know. And that's exactly (laughs) what happened. So I finished up business school and I ended up on the trading floor where I began my career in corporate sales over at Citibank. And I don't know if you've ever felt this way, Elizabeth, but I certainly did where it was 
everything I had dreamt of. On paper, everything was lining up. But deep down, I felt like there was some form of misalignment. I couldn't put my finger on it. But over time, I started to feel like I was meant for something else. So in August 2016, I pressed eject. And that's what when I really developed, I suppose, what I now call a portfolio career, where at the time I was leading um, the charge in sales and sales leadership in early stage startups. I was dabbling in the world of coaching, TV, radio. But over time, Elizabeth, I realized these three big, big things. Okay. Number one was, why is it, why is it that in the world of sales presentations, it feels illegal to bring your true personality to the table? Like you have to be somebody you're not and fit into the narrative of what people believe professional is. And the second thing was, was there was a lot of feature dumping. And the final thing was, was there was little to no storytelling. So I started my business in September, 2020 and the mission and the business has evolved over time, but me, this version of you right now in 2023, January, I bring to you uh, the art of selling more with storytelling. So that's a little bit about me and how I got started. That's such a wonderful story. And I can hear the passion in your voice for what it is that you're doing. Man. And I think a lot of us can resonate with that example of you got somewhere you wanted to be. And when you were there, it was what you thought it would be, but it wasn't necessarily fulfilling. You didn't feel what you thought you'd feel when you got to the place you wanted to get to. And what's interesting to me is the way that you see and experienced sales changing is a little bit of the way sales used to be and could still be effective. So for example, it, it used to be okay to have salespeople who just knew a lot of the features and benefits because when buyers couldn't find that information, that was actually a value add. Probably still wasn't the best way to sell, right? But if if there was no way for me to learn about your offering until I talked to you, I care probably more about the information you're providing and you know being able to ask questions and get some consulting than about you as a person and your your personality and and stories. It's still going to be kind of uh, a very dry, emotionless decision if if you're not able to add that that personality. But you can lean on, hey, I I own this information. You can only get it through me, and so it, you could still be successful. And that's just not the case anymore, right? If you have salespeople who were able to just lean on being the the sole provider of information that's completely gone and people can go online and find out more than you know about your offering. And I think anybody who depended on those features, that feeling of I'm the expert and I am, you know, conveying my wisdom to the buyer, <laughs> that's a big change. That's a big culture shock. That's a big eye-opening thing. And and there are a lot of people who are thinking, okay, so what do I do to be successful <laughs> if if the buyer has access to all of the information, what's the point of a salesperson? What's what's the value that I can add? And I love that you honed in on that kind of naturally through your experiences, but you've also really been able to 
build a business and and help a lot of people to transition into what the new role is of a consultative salesperson. Yeah, it's been it's been quite the journey. And I think if we look at from what I'm seeing anyway, through the lens of my experience and the clients that I partner with, you know, you've got to really stand out in today's market. You've got to cut through the noise. And with decision makers today, it's not necessarily about the ROI. Sometimes it's about really framing the cost of inaction because people think that, let's look at it like this. There's, there's a decision maker who could be in fight. They could be in flight or they could be in freeze. And I don't think people think about the third F where somebody could do nothing at all. And sometimes that's easier because say you've got a decision maker whose job might be on the line. If they rip out an existing solution, pay $70,000 for this new piece of software and it doesn't work out. How do they look, right? How do they look? So really they're worried about certain things which they may not divulge to you, but if you truly build a strong relationship with that decision maker, you've got to one, think about how you can make them look great, no doubt, but also think about the deep fears and the worry of really them worrying about looking stupid and how you can move them from freeze to one of fight versus flight um, and just really just running away from the situation altogether. Absolutely. I think a lot of times we have this perception that our main competitor is another company, but the the biggest competitor always is inertia. And yeah, it's change is disruptive. It's threatening. And I we've all heard the stories of leaders, you know, even CEOs, much less, um, you know, CTOs and and leaders of other specific areas of a business who've made a decision. It didn't work out, and they were gone. <laughs> and so it's yeah. creating, not not even creating, conveying what the risk is of staying still without seeming like a fear monger, right? No doubt. With really just um, accurately, I understand. So the system right now technically works, but here's where it's slow. Here's where it doesn't have the features that a modern system needs to have. Here's where you're missing out on this thing. Here's where your users or your employees who are using, whoever's using the system are looking for a feature that doesn't exist. They're looking for functionality that the system can't support. And here's what your competitors are doing, right? Um, there, there are ways to help clients kind of discover that, that sense, not necessarily of urgency, but of at least need for a change if they haven't necessarily internalized it themselves. And that's a really great, that's a really great observation and something that is up to a salesperson to address. I think a lot of times when we talk to an interview salespeople, they know the problem, they know the value they can add, and they haven't always necessarily connected with the buyer so the buyer knows what value they can add and what the cost of doing nothing is. And you can know all of that yourself. But if, if the buyer doesn't understand it, you're going to be very frustrated at the end of the process. Well, yeah, I think it's really interesting because you mentioned what the villain really might be in the eyes of buyers today and it's really one of them is the status quo right because if we think about us as human beings a lot of the time we forget that we're influenced by ease i mean you just take a look at my deliveroo app which is probably equivalent to your grubhub where for a period of time when my daughter was born last year it was just takeaway after takeaway after takeaway and 
I did that because I took the path of least resistance every single day, right? I paid five times more for convenience versus cooking a healthy meal, which may take longer, but hey, I, I wanted to take the path of least resistance and that was really taking the easy way out. So if the perceived effort of shifting one's solution and shifting one's behavior is higher than really staying with the status quo, we have a problem. So really, uh, one of the biggest villains, to go back to uh, the original question and tying it all together, in my opinion, can be the status quo. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so um, that, I think that's a key kind of understanding uh, if, if, you know, we've got salespeople, sales leaders listening of what's the role, what's the function, what should we be doing as a sales team, helping clients understand the potential problem of the status quo. And I also love that you, you know, all the way back when you were introducing yourself, talked about the fact that salespeople don't necessarily know, and it's historically been something kind of frowned upon, of how to share your own personality and yourself in the sales process. And if salespeople are no longer information sources, you know, just basically uh, a website in a person um, that it used to be, right? Before you had a website with all the product information, you had a bunch of salespeople who were trained to share that exact same information. And if, if we're not that anymore, how can salespeople apply their own personalities, their own unique perspectives in sales? Because I feel like they could do that very effectively or they could do that in ways that maybe don't align with uh, best practices, let's say. Yeah, well, let me take you back to the TV show Billions. Have you ever seen Billions, Elizabeth? I have not. Okay, well, I've watched a few seasons. And for those of you listening to this right now, don't judge me, okay, with what I'm about to say, because I've only watched a few seasons, okay? But there's, <laughs> a, there's a lady called Wendy on the show. And ultimately, what she is, is you could call her an in-house performance coach, and what she would do is she would sit with the traders and really do a lot of deep inner work with them to help them gain the certainty, clarity and confidence they need to move forward. And I think what happens is, is with salespeople, if we think about the environments that we're in, where sometimes we can compare ourselves to somebody who's at the top of the leaderboard, or we can look outside of ourselves for answers, sometimes really what's required is inner work, right? So rewiring the stories that we are telling ourselves. For example, a lot of the sellers that I'll train, they may say, I'm monotone, or I'm an introvert, or I'm not a good storyteller. I'm not a natural born storyteller. I'm not charismatic. I'm not confident. Well, if you tell yourself that enough, then you can imagine what the outcome will be. So one of the things I really like to get people focused on to begin with is rewiring one story that somebody might be telling themselves through the following steps. So the first thing would be to Step one really would be to identify one story that you're telling yourself today that secretly isn't serving you, right? So that would be step one, figuring out what that story is and related to storytelling, okay, and effective communication. Now, the second thing to do would be to ask yourself, is this story 100% true? Because really what we're looking for is to find cracks in this belief system. If there's even a 1% chance that this story could be false, ding, 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 that's a good thing. You know what I'm saying? That like we really want to find a crack in that belief system. The third step is to really think about, okay, well, now that I've got an idea of what that story is, and I've got an idea that, you know what, 
actually, it's not 100% true because somebody last week actually told me I'm an engaging presenter. I've got some evidence there. So now, well, what story would you like to tell yourself in 2023? How would you like to reframe that story? Okay, so we really think about switching it into a positive. And the final step is then gathering positive evidence to reinforce this new belief. So what is one action that somebody could take in the next 24 hours to reinforce this new belief? Because over time, what will happen, you'll hopefully collect enough positive evidence to crush that existing belief that wasn't serving you. So if you think about that, and you really start to gain momentum, you'll go, oh, whoa, hold on. Like, maybe I have a good storyteller and maybe I could be this. And you start to gain confidence in who you are versus who other people want you to be. And I think to really accompany that and bolt on is really doing the inner work to figure out maybe why you fear judgment, why you fear owning your differences. For a lot of the time, people fear being who they truly are in the sales process because they worry about alienating a prospect when funny enough, the very thing they're hiding is the very thing that makes them magnetic. I really resonate with um, what it is that you're saying. And I can see that showing up in a lot of different people in different ways. I think most people in general, no matter what part of, you know, what group you might be in with your demographics or your background, can experience some level of hesitation or uncertainty. You know, they might think, oh, I'm not funny, or they'll compare themselves to somebody who tells stories and it's like they have an acting background and it's just so incredibly engaging and they think, oh, I, I can't be like Ravi, so I can't tell a story. Not really thinking of the fact that most of our communication is storytelling. <laughs> if you go home to your partner or you, you sit down with your best friend, what are you doing but telling each other stories? So we tell each other stories all the time. We can do it. Exactly. Now, we might not be the best storytellers. We might not compare to, you know, a movie star or something, but certainly we can all tell stories. No doubt. And then I think when it comes to a limitation, if you come from a disadvantaged background, if you are in an underrepresented group, you have a bigger story that you're fighting against that you've likely internalized. And you know, society might be telling you that story as well as yourself. And you're certainly not going to be able to fight against those big systemic communications that you're not the right person for this job, that people that look like you or sound like you don't belong if you truly believe it yourself. And so that first level of thinking, you know what, I've believed this story that's false, that that's permeated society around me, but I know that's not true. That's a, an incredible asset to somebody who's really looking to achieve success in a way that maybe they haven't pictured or the way that society hasn't necessarily set them up for. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, there's a famous quote. I think it might be Jay Shetty or somebody um, before him. Um, but the quote is, is you can't be what you can't see. And that's why I think when a sales leader shows up unapologetically self-expressed, is vulnerable and actually shows up as who they really are versus who they think they should be in that environment, it gives other people permission to show up as who they really are. So it's crazy. Last year in, oh God, it must have been March or April time, I was speaking at the Crunchbase sales kickoff in Vegas. And their VP of sales, Andrew McManaman, she's awesome. She's a good friend now as well. She is so unapologetically self-expressed and exactly who she is. You could see that her team just felt 
the permission to own who they are, own their differences and really bring it to the table. I mean, in the room, we had the people who were DJs, like this one guy had met Drake before. He was like a rapper. <laughs> there were so many cool people and it was inspiring where it wasn't about conforming, I suppose is the best way to put it, but it was cool to own who you really are. So I think you really got to think about the environment that you're in as well, because truthfully, you know, if you're around people who, are, you know, you have to dim your light in front of, if you're around leaders who secretly want to suppress you, you need to figure out how you can get into an environment where people truly see something in you and maybe something that you don't see in yourself just yet. Pull it out. And those mentors are the ones you want to grab onto. Absolutely. I, I really think that observation that you made about Andrea, that's so incredibly important because you used the example earlier, maybe you watched Wall Street a few too many times as a as a child oh, and yeah. growing up, right? And when we look at popular culture, when we look at even even in the news, a lot of times we're seeing the same examples over and over and over of who's in certain roles and who's successful. And as a leader within a group, if you can show I don't have to be <laughs> the the stereotype that people might have and I can be successful, you're really creating that permission no doubt. for people on your team and, and also providing the example. That's that's so incredibly powerful. And when I think of events, so you were at a sales kickoff, right? In Vegas. This company paid money to to, you know, ship salespeople in from all across the country, all across the world yeah. and brought you in. And yeah. it's so tempting as leaders to think we've got to cram this time with product training yeah. and let's make sure everybody knows all the features and let's put together a competitor scorecard and we're going to quiz people and we're going to have people give demo presentations. And I don't think you have a lot of time to talk about how you've met Drake <laughs> if you're doing yeah. that nonstop. And so creating yeah. the opportunities for your team to actually get to know each other and to share internally is going to create a bit more understanding of how people can do that on an external basis. So it sounds like a really fun event and, and a good kind of learning for leaders of, you know, as I'm planning maybe a kickoff for 2023, is there space for my people to actually share themselves? Or is yes. this going to be just trying to shove information into their heads? Exactly. Because look, this is my perspective. It's not the perspective. I urge you to think about how you feel about this. But for me, if I look at any kickoffs, company events, whatever it might be, I think people get hung up on information when actually they forget that it's about the transformation. So for example, last week I was in Vegas speaking at an SKO. My workbook, quote unquote, was like a couple of pages. It wasn't like this 90 page deck with all these different things, because the truth is the transformation was in the different individuals taking my story framework and coming up and sharing their, I was teaching them how to craft an elevator story. So it was for them coming up and sharing their version of the elevator story, sharing what's holding them back right now from speaking with confidence, sharing like their vulnerabilities for the year. And everybody was getting inspired by it. And suddenly one person's vulnerability led to this chain reaction of other people wanting to come up front, uh, up the front of the stage, share their version of the story. And it brings people together. It makes everything more human and connection focused, but also it creates that transformation piece, that information alone, that death by PowerPoint alone just will not and cannot do. 
I've seen so many events and conferences where you pull people together. And the way you can tell if this has worked is if you have a dinner or you have some sort of team building event after the day of, you know, trainings and discussions and all the other things, do you see people having conversations with people they probably wouldn't have about something that was shared, right? Yeah. There's yeah. there's nothing more fun than seeing two people who have completely different roles and responsibilities who maybe never really interact in um, in their day-to-day work lives. And they're from different parts of the country, different parts of the world. And somebody who comes up and is like, you shared that story about how you coach your daughter's soccer team. And I coach my daughter's soccer team, whatever it might be, or I played soccer. And uh, I should say football since I'm talking to somebody from the other side of the pond. Um, <laughs> but regardless, it's it's amazing when you see those connections happen. And not only, again, is that is that enabling an inner transformation of people feeling able to represent their whole selves. But it's also incredibly powerful when it comes to just teamwork and and fostering connections within your within your group because clicks tend to continue as we as we get into the work world and sometimes you can be working in the same company and even in the same general area of a business with a lot of people that you've never really had any personal engagement with. And so Sharing those stories really enables a lot of interesting <laughs> connections that people might have with each other, which can be a lot of fun and also really help when it comes to just fostering engagement within the team. No doubt, no doubt. There's a um, there's a famous saying from the Oscar-winning movie Mean Girls. Um, <laughs> I think it was, you can't sit with us, right? It's like, you yes. can't sit with us. And I think sometimes... When you've got marketing, sales, onboarding, CSM, all in one room, it, there's some silos up, right? And when you get to learn about somebody's story, they become human. And when they become human, they become more relatable. And then a connection can be formed. And all of a sudden, you're not thinking about the title of a, an individual. You're thinking about their story. You think about what they've gone through. And you think about how can you help them? Because really, I think human beings are inherently good. So it's very, very important to do just that. And that also, you know, leads nicely into how can we get prospects and other human beings to share their story? Because I yes. think a lot of the time in storytelling, we talk about how to craft stories, how to deliver stories, which is great. But something that's not spoken about enough is how to get prospects, for example, to share their story. Now, the way I think about it, and I'd love to hear your perspective, but my take on it is, for example, it all lies in the power of open-ended questions. So let's say if I've done effective discovery. And I say to a prospect, wow, that sounds like it's a huge issue for you. How many years have you struggled with it? They'll say one year, two years, three years, whatever. Now, that's not necessarily a bad response. It all depends about the context and when I want to elicit that type of a response. But a better question to elicit a story as a response would be, can you tell me about the time when you realized that this was a huge problem for you then, Elizabeth? Because all of a sudden, you are now going back in time in your mind to think about the very moment, the turning point when you realize that this challenge was something that you needed to solve. So you're going to go, oh, God, yeah, I remember I was sitting with my boss, Kevin, and Kevin sat down and he said, Elizabeth, you need to. And suddenly you're telling me a story. Now, if I told you, Elizabeth, tell me a story about the time when you realize you're going to say, I don't have any stories because what. And what ends up happening is people get stuck in analysis paralysis of delivering something that's Oscar worthy, right? So an open-ended question can be so 
so powerful. And then following up with something that makes an individual feel deeply seen, heard, and understood. And I think the power of deep listening, removing ego and being very present in the moment is a skill which I think is underrated. But then you can interject your own story to relate to what that person might be going through. Because I think if somebody just shares a story straight away, for example, let's take a let's take a live example. If I'm going through a breakup, Elizabeth, and I call you, I'm like, Elizabeth, this is going on. You know, I broke up with my partner. This has happened. That's happened. You're like, oh my God, I remember when I went through, I'll be like, hold up. <laughs> it's about me, right? understood. So there's a, there's an art in getting somebody to share stories and open up, but there's also an art in thinking about the most optimal time to share a story so it fosters connection versus creates a disconnection. Yes, that's such a beautiful example because eventually in a conversation, you would like your friend usually to share an example that shows the empathy. But if that's the first response, that's that's pretty off-putting. And so often in sales, it's like people ask questions to check a box and say, I asked questions, I discovered their problems. And then they immediately go into storytelling mode. And it's, okay, I heard that you have this problem. Here's how we solve it. And it can be just so off-putting. And you're also really missing out on understanding how that problem is impacting the person you're talking to. Because I can academically say, yes, you know, this is the system is slow. Or yes, we're experiencing an error rate of 3%. And I wish that it weren't 3%. But that's not nearly as powerful as thinking of the time that I got a call on a Saturday night and I had to get pulled in because the system was down or whatever it might be. And the real ways I experienced that problem as opposed to just saying, yes, I have it. It's a very different thing. Totally. I'm with you. I'm really, really with you. And I think that example of just butting in with a story or what somebody perceives to be a story. Okay, Sela is uh, it's really one that creates a disconnection. And, you know, a lot of the time, I think when sales leaders or sellers are thinking about the different stories that they can have rep share, they immediately go to customer success stories. Now, I teach various different ones like personal stories, elevator stories, cost of inaction stories, founder story, loads of different ones. But really, that is the number one story that a lot of leaders are comfortable with and have heard about before. But what ends up happening is they end up sharing use cases or case studies versus highly emotive customer success stories. Now, yes. the audience is probably thinking, well, what's the difference, Ravi? Well, let me tell you. So I don't know. There's no other way to explain it, really, than Elizabeth, have you ever been to a mall, a shopping mall, and somebody came up to you and said, hello, miss, would you like a cookie? And <laughs> you're like, um, I mean, the parking meter's going to run out or my parking ticket is going to run out in about 15 minutes. I kind of need to grab. I mean, all right, I'll just have a taste. And you have a taste and you're like, that tastes incredible. Where are the rest of the cookies at, right? So you run into the store and you ask for the brochure or the pamphlet where it has the different types of cookies, the flavors, the ingredients, the price list. Now, how I see it is that cookie sample at the front of the store is the highly emotive customer success story which earns the opportunity to share the case study or the use case, aka that brochure or pamphlet. Now, I think a short customer success story at the right time in discovery or demo 
can really accelerate trust because we all know about the power of social proof. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, now I want cookies. So that was mean. But the <laughs> a lot of times I think people people understand case studies are important. You know, it is nice to show examples with numbers and data and testimonials and quotes. Yeah. And again, they feel that that just needs to be done early or any time in the process. And it, it's almost like the difference between a documentary and a movie that's telling the same story, right? You can have a documentary, and I love documentaries, nothing wrong with them, but they you know, tend to be a little bit more dry, a little bit more presenting a lot of information. And then you'll see movies that are just live reenactments of, of what happened. And seeing, you know, hearing and seeing history represented is very different than if you're reading it in a book or you're, you're watching it in a documentary. And we can't just always default to the case study. There's there's a time and a place yeah, for the documentary, and there's a time and a place for a movie. <laughs> and those are just very different things and different experiences that your buyer is having. And, you know, back to just an example of if I am a buyer and I share with you, yes, I have this problem, I acknowledge that I have it, and you jump in with a case study, like that, that that's a very, it's a very jarring experience. It, it's not a natural way that we talk to people. It's not normal, right? It's just like, why are you doing this? It feels very artificial. And that's off-putting. And it's it's also just really not serving a successful conversation and a successful discovery if there's really opportunity. Yeah, that's right, my friend. I'm with you. And I think a lot of it, from my perspective, boils down to often the belief. Well, I suppose the the story that people tell themselves around our decision makers are analytical. They care about numbers. And I get that all the time, by the way, you know, would storytelling work for our decision makers who are CFOs or heads of legal, whatever it might be. And here's where I take it to. And I'm pulling from the work of Dr. Zoe Chance, especially from her book, Influences Your Superpower, which is just an incredible book. But, you know, she highlights in her book that human beings think that they're making rational decisions most of the time, but that's not actually the case. So she actually says that our brain is split into two. And she says one half is called the gator, right? A.K.A. the alligator, which is unconscious, fast, and intuitive. It's like our first responder, which Zoe says drives 95% of our decisions. And then you've got the judge, which is conscious, slow, deliberate, and I suppose more logical. And it's like being in a courtroom with every single tiny decision in life which we just wouldn't do. We don't go to the grocery store and say, look at this apple. Should I go for this apple or this apple? Like we don't do that with every tiny decision. So what's fascinating is in her book, she pulls from the research about a study that was conducted on 1,100 parole decisions of Israeli judges who are deciding if somebody should be released from prison or go back to jail. And Elizabeth, the results are incredible. So check this. When judges were refreshed, at the start of the day or just after lunch, they would send prisoners back to society around two thirds of the time. And they were difficult decisions, right? Which take up a lot of um, mental capacity. So when you're fatigued and hungry, the judge part of our mind finds it difficult to actually make hard decisions. So right before lunch, the judges, when they were hangry, right? They were judges were sending virtually every prisoner back to jail because that's the easy decision to make because they refer to the gator, the intuitive, fast, and unconscious part of our brain. 
as soon as you started telling that story, I remember hearing an interview where she shared that research. And I was my mind was blown. The idea that something that I'm I'm really passionate about is, is criminal justice reform. So I'm not going to get too much into that. But the idea that yeah. you could have two people who've done the exact same thing, had the exact same experience, and one of them just happens to get the judge, you know, right before lunchtime, <laughs> who's hangry. And I'm the queen of hangry. So oh, I yeah. can't really can't really judge that too much. But it, the fact that you can have a different result in something that just seems they're judges, they're serious people, they're making objective decisions. And we're just, we're not, you know, we make decisions based on the silliest of things. And an example or the way that we often express this to our clients is people make decisions, they decide emotionally, and then they justify rationally. And it takes that connection. It takes a real emotional connection, um, which can be accomplished through stories and through sharing your, your personal, you know, being yourself that people are able to make that emotional decision. And then it's really funny to see how many times if there are complexities, change is always going to be a little bit difficult. There's always going to be some level of, you know, we're implementing a new system. It's it's awkward. It's rough. There, there are some difficult spots. And when you have somebody who's really bought in on that decision emotionally, they might raise objections and then decide how to handle those objections literally in the same sentence. And they're doing that work for you because they want to make this work. They want it to be successful. It's an incredibly empowering and and fun conversation when you're working with a prospect and they're with you thinking through what could go wrong and how can we avoid that as opposed to you just hoping they don't think of those. <laughs> Right. And um, and just, you know, sitting there with your fingers crossed, hoping that hoping that they're not bringing up these these ideas. It's a really it's a much more fun process where you you can see that somebody knows how you're helping them and they're helping you help them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think it goes back to that concept of the perceived effort it takes to shift the status quo. I mean, if you think about it, what we're really trying to do is ignite change when we're selling something, there's a difference between changing minds and changing behaviors. A lot of people talk about changing minds. Well, you can change my mind about something. And I may believe it, but if there's not an emotional pull, I may not change my behavior. I mean, how many times do, I mean, every, okay, let's take an example of the January rush for gyms, right? I, I was talking to a buddy of mine, um, actually my barber, aka Hedris, and he was saying, man, the gyms are crazy. In January, everybody's changed their mind is this is a time, you know, I'm going to get into shape of my life. But to really stay with that consistent behavior, we need a why, something which really triggers an emotion, which keeps us accountable and helps us stay with the shift in behavior when things get hard. Otherwise, we go back to what's easiest, right? The path of least resistance. Yep. Sitting on the couch, which is yeah, where exactly. I spent my... Eating a pizza. Which, oh, hey, I like pizzas, man. I like pizzas, but there's a time and place. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I I have so enjoyed this conversation today, Rabbi, and I'm I'm inspired to really think about how I present myself and um, as I work with clients and prospects. Something that I always like to ask our guests is, what trends are you keeping an eye on over the course of 2023? We've we've seen a lot of changes happening, obviously, over the last two three years. But what what are you looking forward to or looking at and concerned? 
<laughs> yeah, it's a good question, actually. You know, I'm hearing lots about this chat GPT, um, AI and all this stuff. And truth be told, I don't know enough about it to have an opinion on it or to have an, a discussion about it. But it's something I'm just curious about. Whilst I see a lot of people adopting it, looking at it, and um, I don't know the name. I think it was the chat GPT website that I was on and I was just playing around with it. Um, and it wrote this incredible like blog post for me in like one minute. And I was like, oh my God, this is incredible, right? So obviously there's loads of kings to be worked out. And I'm just curious to see how different people are adopting it and how people think about it because it's an area that I don't really focus on. So I'm, I'm curious about it and hey, I want to learn more. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm keeping an eye on that one as well because it'll be interesting to see how it, how it penetrates the work world. You know, we're already hearing about how educational institutions are paying attention to it. So people don't cheat on their homework. But um, it'll be interesting to see what happens as salespeople start using it to write their emails. Yes, exactly. All right. Um, do you have any resources that you would recommend our listeners checked out? I know you've already recommended one book. Yeah. But are there any other books or guides or podcasts, it doesn't matter, uh, anything that could help listeners, you know, maybe hone in on some of the topics that we've been discussing today or just something you're, you've are you been interested in and checking out lately? Yeah, no doubt. I think something which might help the audience if they found this super useful today is, you know, one of the things I do inside of my story selling framework that I embed into companies is getting people to start sharing more stories inside of the sales process. And the one that I get people to start with, which often is the trickiest, if your messaging isn't um, already on point, is sharing the elevator story. People often don't know where to begin. They don't have a template. They don't have a framework and they end up doing nothing, right? They take the path of least resistance. So I want to stop that. So what I've done is I've actually put together a free guide on how to craft and deliver your very own elevator story. And hey, if you're interested, you can go check it out at www.theraviRajani.com forward slash your elevator story. You can get access to it. And hey, tell me what you think. I hope it serves you. Wonderful. All right. Um, we've already got your website there, theraviRajani.com, and we'll include a link in the notes for today's show. But if listeners want to learn more about you and your work, where else can they find you? You know what? I hang out a lot on LinkedIn. So you can find me at Ravi Rajani. Really, really simple. Send me a DM to say hello. Send me a DM to say hello. Otherwise, go check out the Elevator Story link. I think you'll like it, people. I think you might like it. All right. Well, thank you so, so much for joining me today, Ravi. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Appreciate you. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 369. If you enjoyed the show, please recommend us to a friend. That is the best way to help more people discover it. And if you haven't subscribed, make sure you do that now. You can subscribe for free on whatever platform you're listening to us. We love feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or email us if you've got feedback, if you've got questions or suggested guests or topics we should be discussing. You can email us at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ryland Sylvester. What are you doing to enable buying today?